Friends, would you stand with me as we read the Lord's Word? Again, we are back in Ephesians chapter 6. If you will listen to verses 10 through 17. This is the Lord's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word and pray that you will bless the servant and bless these, your people. Give us ears to hear. We pray that we would understand these things. Sometimes, Lord, we get lost in details. And so we pray that uh, your word would be plain, that it would be clear, that it would be faithful to your word, faithful to reveal what you have written. And so we ask for your help. Above these things, Father, I pray that you would cause the kingdom of Satan injury. We pray, Lord, that we would not be deceived, that the seed of the gospel would not be taken away. Help us, we plead with you, for we are weak. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are engaged in such a battle, a battle that has bearing upon the body and the soul and upon the bodies and souls of those who are outside of the church even today. Understanding, friends, that it's not just our soul that we're concerned in seeing saved, but it is the body and the soul that we are concerned. Man is made up of material and immaterial, a a body and a soul. And what we believe has bearing upon where we live today, but also upon where we will spend eternity, both body and soul. Don't think that the stakes aren't high. The stakes are high. We have been told throughout uh, the scriptures, throughout the worship service, but in Ephesians 1, that we have tasted of the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ, of all of the blessings that we have uh, been given, they have been bestowed upon us in him. The change that has come to us because of him, these will not go unopposed by the evil one. But understand, we do not have an enemy that we can see. He and his demons are hard at work. The devil and his demons are hard at work to discourage the church, to discourage this church, to trip us up, to lead us astray from truth, to compromise morally, to keep others ensnared in falsehood and sin, to divide us, to keep us from being an effective witness for Jesus Christ so that we lose ground and fall back and the witness would be silenced. 
And you can see it every day in the news. You find these sorts of things, these trials and temptations that are coming. He truly does not want you to take the heart, the things that you would hear. I can just imagine, and I sit here and go, how do you, how do you speak, Lord, of, of spiritual things? How do you make people who are used to handling phones and and carrying coffee cups and who think reality is determined by what we see, how do you make someone see what is unseen? How do you get them to see it? And I can imagine that Satan would have you say, as you're sitting there, oh, sure, sure, right. We're science scientists these days. We know better than these sorts of superstitions, don't we? And it's just the kind of thing that the devil would want you to believe. It would be the kind of thing the devil would want you to think. That's right. I don't really exist. You don't have to worry about me. Just make sure your 401k is, is set. It's his goal to undermine, to diminish, and to downplay. And in this way, he could set us back. I don't want this, and I'm sure, quite certain, that you don't want this as well. So as we make it our goal to make Jesus Christ known in this area and throughout Lander and Riverton and Fort Washakie, as we stand for the truth, we will receive opposition from the world, but really, most of all, we receive opposition from the evil one who has ensnared the world and holds them captive to do his will. There is only one way that the church can stand and not lose ground, and that's if, friends, each of us as soldiers of Christ put on the full armor of God. A spiritual enemy will only ever be fought by a spiritual or be, be able to contend by a spiritual armor. And this is Paul's point. Of all the glorious things he says throughout the book of Ephesians, this universal uh, epistle that is sent around, circular letters sent around to all these different churches, isn't it interesting after all the glorious things he has said about the Christian and all that he has been blessed with in Christ, he then says Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. The Christian is under attack. The Christian is under attack, and there's only one way that we can fight it and fight these schemes, and that is if we put on the full armor of God, God's armor. And so the, the apostle begins, and we've looked at this the last couple of weeks, he has begun to point out the armor of God, the full armor, and he begins with its defensive aspects. Again, briefly, we looked at truth, having girded your loins with truth, like a belt to you or me for our clothing, so truth to the Christian is like a belt. It brings freedom, it brings ease, clarity, and confidence. It removes uncertainty and doubt so that you may fight and not become tripped up. It is both objective, and that is the Bible makes statements, it makes claims, truth claims, which stand on their own regardless of polls and opinions, regardless of what you or I say. The Bible speaks, and therefore it is true because it is the word of God. That's it. God cannot lie. He does not lie. But it also has a subjective element, and that is that the claims of Scripture must be appropriated by you. 
personally. A belt does very little good if you don't put it on. If you leave it hung, hanging in the closet, it does not keep your pants up. My friends, you must know the truth of Scripture, and you must believe the truth of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, chock full of examples of people who not only believed that God spoke, but their belief was demonstrated by their activity. So when Abraham is promised by God uh, that he is going to have a descendant, and Isaac, or Abraham has to go and offer up Isaac, Abraham has no problem doing it. Why? Because he figures if God can, 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 can make a promise and make it happen, he, he can also raise someone from the dead. Abraham was full on going to offer up his son to God. How do we know he believed God? How do we know he appropriated that truth for himself? Because he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. The same with Noah. There's never been a worldwide flood before, Lord. Should I really believe what you're saying? And he does. 120 years, making an ark. He believes the word of God, appropriates it for himself so that he does exactly what God tells him to do. That's faith. That's truth. Also, Paul would say then, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was the armor that covered the body from neck to thighs, front and back. A warrior without his breastplate was in effect naked, exposed to the lethal injury um, that his enemy could inflict both going and coming. So the Christian is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There is no standing against Satan if you are not clothed in Christ's righteousness. You haven't a prayer apart from standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Christ alone, my friends, we are protected against Satan's accusations. In Christ alone, um, I am no longer found guilty but rather I am righteous before God. And so Satan loves to whisper, and by whisper I don't mean you hear something audibly. I mean that it's that tape, that voice, that message that keeps rolling around in your head again and again and again, accusing you of how you have fallen short and how Satan loves to remind us of those things. And yet the man or the woman who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ can say it is done, it is finished. I'm free. I don't have that guilt anymore. And Satan can't assail us with that. This righteousness produces a devout and holy life in those who believe upon Jesus Christ to make them just before God, thus leaving them, um, thus not leaving them vulnerable. So Paul has said, truth, put it on like a belt, and righteousness like a breastplate. Put it on. But third, as we focus today, third, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Other translations say it like this. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the ESV, or the NIV, which says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Shoes are important, and I know you all feel this way. I was driving down the street the other day and saw a young man slip and fall on the sidewalk right out in front of the bank. A reminder to me that shoes are important. I've started wearing different shoes to church. I usually wear my boots, but I found out one night after worship, so I was going out to my truck, 
I went to step into my truck and my shin slid across the ice and whacked really hard the side of my truck. And I was like, doggone it, <laughs> I've got to get different shoes on. I need grip, I need something that can hold me, hold me firm to the ground. The picture here, and then that's, that's an important little illustration, though it's a small thing walking to your car in a dark uh, parking lot. It's quite another thing when we think about going to battle and we're in warfare. But take that principle. Each of you says, which shoes should I wear today? It might be icy outside. And you put on the shoes you think will, will hold you to the ground firmest. I hope you do anyways. Um, we, we think that way, but take that little principle and say, now what would I wear if I had to run for my life or if I had to run into a battle? What would I want on my feet? The whole picture is that of being ready, of being prepared. The picture here then is of the, this third piece of armor is that of the sturdy Roman sandal that the soldier would strap onto his feet. According to Josephus, Roman soldiers were in the habit of putting on shoes thickly studded with sharp nails. It's what um, some have argued that Alexander the Great, his armies, and also Julius Caesar, they had caught their enemies by uh, off guard because they didn't anticipate that their soldiers could move as quickly as they did uh, across the territories that they were covering. And they attribute it to these shoes, um, these shoes that had um, these thickly studded nails on them. When going against a foe, one can't afford to be thinking about his feet, what he is going to step on or if he will be able to move. The sandal brought both protection to his feet as well as stability. And in the context of warfare, the soldier is never merely thinking of survival, but he is also thinking of advance. The sandals are not only a help in battling the enemy, but of running ahead to advance the cause. Biblically speaking then, the idea here is to have a readiness, an eagerness, a preparation strapped to you like shoes are strapped to your feet that only the gospel of peace can provide, that is the good news of peace. And so I want to examine what this is. What is the gospel of peace? If you turn with me in your Bibles, just back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 2. we were looking at in Sunday school in the membership class. Good news is only good news when you first anticipate the bad news. We read, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Jew and Gentile alike were by nature children of wrath. And my friends, their sin has caused a great rift between you and God. He was angry with you at one point, very angry with you. He was at war with you. War is a terrible thing. We have watched it for the past two years between Russia and Ukraine, and now for the past several months between Israel and Palestine. And every morning we turn on the news, and every night as we go to bed and we catch the headlines, we hear more about Russia and Ukraine at war, and we hear more about Israel and Palestine at war. Have you ever stopped to consider that the man or the woman, apart from God, dead in their sins, God is at war with them? 
There is no such thing as peace. You don't get peace by tipping a hand, by acknowledging, yes, yes, God. Yes, his word is important. No, your sins have created a divide between you and a holy God, and you are under the wrath and curse of God. That's the sinful condition of every man, woman, and child who comes into this world by natural generation, which is all of us in this place today. We are under the wrath of God, and we deserve his condemnation. Your sin is and or was the cause for the absence of peace with God and consequently also with his people. But we read on in Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time, while you were uncircumcised, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, You who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace." and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Paul would say in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand what your sins deserved. What your sins deserve is the wrath of God. Do you understand that because of Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God? He has taken in himself, on himself, what we deserved. We deserved wrath. What did Jesus say on Calvary's cross? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God forsake the Son? He forsook his Son for the first and only time throughout all of eternity. He forsook him because in his flesh he bore the sins of his people and God could not, would not look upon his Son. And what does his resurrection mean on that third day? It means that he rose and he conquered our sins. Right? What did Jesus say as he died? It is finished meaning the debt was paid for in full. And when he rose again, my friends, it meant this, that your sins 
were done, they were dealt with, and he rose, says Paul in Romans chapter 4, he rose for our justification. By his wounds, we were healed. And with that healing came peace with God. No longer is there condemnation, peace with God, and now Jew and Gentile alike come into this one body because Christ has made peace. He's made peace. This is the good news that Christ Jesus has brought to the one who believes upon him. Peace with God and peace with his people. There is no longer, as it were, fear of war, nor is there, according to Romans 8, 1, fear or dread of condemnation. Therefore, the readiness or preparation that this provides for us is an assurance of God's love for you. It produces a cheerful, joyful eagerness that comes to one who is resting in God's hands. The psalmist would write in Psalm 56, In God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Again, like the other articles, there is a question as to whether the gospel of peace is to be taken subjectively or objectively. John Stott wrote here, If subjectively the gospel of peace gives to the subject you and me a certain firmness or steadfastness to the one who believes the gospel, just like strong boots would give to the one who puts them on. So when a person hears the truth of Jesus Christ, believes the truth concerning Christ, he is unshakable in his footing like being on a solid rock and he will stand during trial. I am attacked, I am hounded, I am pursued, and yet this man says, I'm okay, because I'm standing upon the gospel of Christ. I'm standing upon what he has done for me. And so Satan attacks, and this man stands firm. He's not going to be moved because he knows the truth of the gospel. He knows the one who holds him in his hand and knows that no one will ever pluck me out of his hand. I told you once of a friend of mine, a wonderful brother in the Lord who I've spoken to probably three times in the past 30 years. I say he's a wonderful friend, but he really is. He was a man who came to know the Lord um, in his... um, college years and you saw a drastic change in his life how he came to faith in Christ how he turned away from his partying and drunkenness and all of these things and began to follow the Lord he put his faith in the Lord and there was a drastic change he ended up going to Bible studies instead of parties he married a Christian lady who he met at this Bible study and everything was good the Lord blessed them with children blessed him all over the place And I called him one day, or he called me, and we were talking. And he said to me, I asked him, how's your wife? He goes, oh, Phil, she left me. I was sick, and I thought, I have to ask him, Dave, how how are things with you and the Lord? And I figured, you know, because oftentimes when people go through a hardship like this, they go, Following Christ didn't do me any good, just made my life miserable, and so I walked away from it, and I was expecting I was going to hear this. Instead, I heard just the opposite. 
I said, Dave, how's your walk with the Lord? And he says to me, through that whole divorce proceeding, Phil, Jesus Christ was my best friend. He held tight to me. And, and I, just a reminder of, of what, what the man or the woman whose faith is in Jesus Christ, whose feet are shod with the gospel of peace, that when the trials come, they stand firm. They're not pushed away. The Lord has since blessed my friend with a new wife and three adopted children, and he faithfully serves the Lord in his church with his wife and with his six children now. But Jesus, the point is that Jesus Christ held my friend, and my friend could say, he is my best friend. Jesus Christ was my best friend, is my best friend. He walked with me through this entire thing, and he was unshaken. That's taking the gospel in a subjective sense. That's us, and, and I would say that's certainly at least what it means. However, if the gospel of peace is to be taken in the objective sense, then it means this, that the Christian soldier's shoes are his readiness to announce the good news of peace. And my question is, which is it? Is it subjective or is it objective? Is the gospel of peace to make me ready and eager to stand securely in the midst of attack? Or is it to make me ready and eager to forge ahead? And I would argue the wimp's way out and say both. That's the way you ought to take this in both manners. The gospel of peace is essential to equip, to ready us for what is to come upon us, for what we are to encounter. My friends, when we are in the face of trial, when we are confronted with opposition, what is it that makes you ready to stand firm? What is it that prepares us to run to the battle? Is it not this? Paul's words in Romans 8, 31 and following, If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the only one, is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? My friends, it was this peace with God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew. They knew God. They believed God. And in the face of trial, because who, who, who in their right mind stands up against the most powerful king in the world? And yet they did to Nebuchadnezzar when he ordered them to bow down when the music played. What was their answer? There's so many stellar examples of faith. But they answer this. So Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But listen to this. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is quite an astounding statement of faith. They were likely going to die. And they were okay with that. Why? Because what shall separate us from the love of God and Christ? And yes, they were Christians. Because they believed upon God like Abraham. And they were found to be righteous because of their faith in God. They trust the Lord and they withstand opposition. 
because they trust the Lord. The same could be said about King David facing Goliath. David ran to the battle line and asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Again, these are men who had their feet shod with the gospel of peace, whose hope was in the Lord, who had peace with God and would withstand the trials and the tribulations. You see, friends, the gospel of peace gives to us stability to stand in the face of opposition. It gives us a surety and an eagerness to engage the battle. It is interesting to me to note as well that the feet that are prepared by the gospel of peace are not merely for withstanding opposition, but for conquering the enemies of God and setting captives free. Listen to Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the battle that we're engaged in. Upon what are your feet? Upon what are you standing? When the world tries to conform us to its image and its ethics, will you stand readily and eagerly because God is for us? Or do you fall back? This is what the church is facing, isn't it? Are you convinced that the gospel is the the only way? Are you convinced that Christ is the only way? Are you convinced that in Christ alone we find peace with God? Or do you, you, you just take the way of the world and say, well, there's many ways. I don't want to be judgmental. We hear this all the time. I don't want to. Who am I to say what the Muslims are believing? I don't want to say that it's wrong. I'll tell you, it's wrong. It's wrong because it's not the truth of Scripture. It's not being mean to speak the truth. It's being mean to withhold truth. That's not loving. And so what is upon your feet? When we are faced with opposition and tempted to shrink back from the enemies of the Lord, will you run to the battle and announce the truth, the good news of peace, of the fact that our God reigns, or do you stand back and not go forward? You see, we've compromised on the gospel And many of you aren't sure where you stand today if you were to die. You don't know if you're washed in the blood of Christ because you're still judging this blasted thing by your behaviors and not by the work of Jesus Christ. That's why you're not sure. And that's why you don't speak up when you need to because you still base it on what you do and not the infallible word of God. And therefore, we don't run to the battle and we don't stand in the face of battles. And the gospel is hurt, and the witness of the church is hurt. This is what Paul is saying. Put on this full armor. This is how we do these, engage in this spiritual battle. And yes, friends, it's going to make you look narrow, and it's going to make you look weird in the eyes of the world. And as we've said before, get used to that. Because you're following Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help. We pray that we would have on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we would know you, that we would know your righteousness, that we would know Jesus Christ, and that we would stand upon him alone. Father, we have been sifted. We have been 
pushed and pulled and bullied by the world, we ask, Father, that our quiet confidence would be upon you and that we would not be moved from your truth, from your righteousness, or from your peace. Grant, Lord, that we should stand firm and not just stand firm, but that, O oh Lord, ours would be the feet that bring good news of great blessings. We ask, Father, that you would cause your kingdom to advance. And we pray that the kingdom of Satan would suffer great injury as a result. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.